0: But we're in Philippians chapter 2 today, and we're going to look at uh, just a few, a few verses here together. As we begin, let me ask you this question. Are, do any of you in this room have older siblings? Raise your hand if you have older siblings. Okay, there's several of you. Actually, that's not bad. That's kind of almost like half, half of you or so. Um, when you have an older sibling, now it's a little different if your older sibling is, is close in age to you. It's, it's a little different when there's a kind of a bigger age gap. I mean, if, if they're like two, three years around your age, it may not feel quite the, the same as it would if you had an older sibling that was four, six, eight, ten years older than you. and one of the things about having an older sibling like that with a big gap is you're always going to run into some age-related frustrations. And if you were the younger sibling with an older sibling that was, you know, six, eight years older than you, there would have been a lot of things that happened that frustrated you just because they're older. There would be things probably when you were young of, you know, when you're, you're 11 and they're 16, why is it that my bedtime is earlier than their bedtime? Why is it that they can do this and I can't do this? Why are they allowed to go here or to do that? Or then it comes to competition. And anybody that had any siblings probably knows that there's usually a little competition in sibling life, right? And, and there's that. It's that the older sibling is always stronger. They're always faster. They're always a little smarter. Maybe not always. Bigger. Um, it seems like they have better opportunities. And there's this frustration that happens. And it's just a simple problem of maturity. Okay? You didn't do anything wrong to be six years younger than your sibling. It's just maturity. It's just the way it is. All right? Now, I, I, I put that in your minds because that's what we're going to talk about here today. When I read the Bible, or when I study, you know, a biography of some great person of faith, and I I read about these characters, and I learn some of these things from people in the Bible, one of the things that happens for me is I often have the same kinds of frustrations. I'll, I'll read about somebody in the Bible, and I'll be like, why can't I pray like that? Or why doesn't God do miracles through me the way that happened? Or why didn't I get to go here, or do this, or experience that? Why don't I have that kind of patience? or kindness, or compassion, or love, right? When we start comparing ourselves to some of these people, we we get frustrated. And not always, but many times, it's a simple problem of maturity, right? Just like it was a simple problem of maturity that the 17-year-old could do with a little less sleep than the nine-year-old, and so their bedtime's a little later than their bedtime, In the same way, some of our spiritual health, our spiritual life, our spiritual growth, some things that we even experience in our spiritual lives are are due to the amount of maturity or immaturity that we have. And I'm not talking about, obviously, physical age or growth, but of spiritual maturity. Now, as we've been working for these past few weeks in Philippians, I've told you that the church at Philippi was a good church. It was a good church. And this is a letter to a good church. We've learned that they were a church that had partnered uh, with the gospel. They were busy about the work of advancing the kingdom of God by sharing the good news with people in their community. They were supporting the work of missions beyond themselves. That's how we're even having this conversation because they sent support to Paul who's in prison. But still, they had room to grow. And so in this letter... Paul is going to give a couple of little phrases in here that are really important for our spiritual life. And that's what we're going to study today, a path to spiritual growth and maturity. Okay? So, in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 12. Are you ready? Are you with me? Here we go. This is what it says. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only in my presence, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, let's go on and and read the next section as well, starting in verse 19. He says, And I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I, too, may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men. For he, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, that last section, in verses uh, 19 to 30, gives us just some biographical information, helps us understand the narrative uh, a little bit better. It says there that Timothy, who, who was known to the people at Philippi, because when you go back into Acts chapter 16, when Paul first planted this church in Philippi, Timothy was one of the people that was with him. Timothy was in the traveling party as Paul was going through these on his missionary journey. And when he came to Philippi at the very start, before there was any Christian church there, and they planted the very first church, Timothy was there. So they would have known Timothy and recognized Timothy's name; he had been part of it, and and it also um, lets us know that Timothy was currently with Paul in Rome. So remember, even though Rome was, uh, it, uh, Paul was in Rome in jail, in prison. It was a it was a house arrest, and it was set up a little bit differently than a you know a solitary confinement cell. That's not what was going on. In fact, what we learn in Acts chapter twenty eight is that it said that, that Paul could have visitors come and visit him. And so he had these people that were coming and going, and he was ministering to them, and, and that, that's what was, was taking place. So Timothy was there with him. Um, Acts also tells us that Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he was there with him. So there were people there together during all this. And Timothy was Paul's like right-hand man. Uh, Paul said, look, if I can't go, I'll, I'll send you Timothy. Um, if, 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 if it's not me, the next best person for the job is going to be Timothy. And also, we also see here too, that Paul felt it was necessary to send Epaphroditus back home to Philippi. Epaphroditus was the one who came and, and delivered the financial gift to Paul that the church had gathered. And also he gave the update of the home church. That's, that's why we have this letter in our Bibles. Because Epaphroditus came, and then Paul writes this letter to send it back with Epaphroditus, back to the church to say, thank you for the gift, let me give you an update of where I'm at, and let me give you some more encouragement and some more growth, right? That's why this letter even exists. And, um, and it seems, apparently, that, that Epaphroditus had gotten very sick, either on his journey to Rome or while he was there, and Paul was very concerned that he would get home safe and sound. And in fact, it's, it's actually likely that Epaphroditus was the one who carried this letter to the Philippians back to the church in Philippi. That would have been pretty incredible, you know, being Epaphroditus journeying back from Rome with a book of the Bible in your hand that nobody knew at the point it would end up as the Bible, but, but he was the one who carried it back. All right, so that's kind of the narrative that's going on. But the section that I want us to focus on today starts back in verse 12. Um, specifically with the phrase work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, if I left you with that as your thing to take home today from church, (laughs) that's a little overwhelming. That's a little daunting. All right, everybody, go on. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling and just walk away. (laughs) You'd be like, ooh, that's what the Bible says. I saw it. I read it. What in the world does that mean? (laughs) Okay, that's that's what we're going to look at. And I want to warn you, as we start here today, this is some deep level stuff. Okay, it's it's deep. And if you're new to the faith, you're, you're a new Christian, you might not be ready for all of this, but it's still good to get an idea of it. Okay, and if you have been a Christian for a while and you want to know what your next step is for spiritual growth and spiritual maturity, you might find it right here. Okay, so this is an important passage. Now here's the thing about spiritual maturity. Unlike what we were talking about at the beginning of the message with the siblings, you know, where uh, you just grow. And as you grow, you develop and you change. And it's just, there's some natural growth that happens. right, spiritual maturity doesn't always work that way. And spiritual maturity doesn't necessarily match our age. Okay, you could be 85 years old and a spiritual infant, a baby. Uh, And it doesn't even necessarily mean that, oh, it's because you got saved at 84 and a half. Okay, not necessarily. In fact, you could be a Christian for many, many years but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're spiritually mature. It's hard to understand sometimes, but, but it's true. And, and with physical growth, we have some like developmental benchmarks that are tied to time, right? I mean, even when a baby is in utero, they can now, with ultrasounds and things like that, they can measure the baby and say, okay, the baby, you know, is the, the woman is four months pregnant, so the baby should be about this size and this weight, They should be this far along in their developmental stage. You know, when the baby is born, you'd bring a healthy baby back to the doctor for a well baby visit to say, okay, the baby is now 18 months old. They they should be weighing about this much, about this size. And then there's all these other developmental things. Oh, so this child is a second grader. You know, they they should be able to do this. They should be able to think this way and understand this. And we have all these benchmarks all the way up to adulthood, right, At, at 10, at 14, at 18. And and all the way through that's purely tied to just, just time. But spiritual growth isn't always tied to time. People grow at different rates. Everyone's experience is different. We all have unique challenges and opportunities. But listen, I believe that spiritual maturity is the place where we find the greatest peace, the greatest joy, the greatest hope, the greatest love, the greatest fulfillment as Christians, all right? And if that's true, if spiritual maturity brings all those things into your life, you want to be spiritually mature. You don't want to run around as a spiritual baby for the rest of your life because just like the younger sibling who feels like they're missing out, you would be missing out if you want that peace that passes understanding, if you want that joy and love that's overflowing out of your heart, spiritual maturity is where that's found. That's that's where we go to. And that's why Paul is encouraging this church and encouraging people all throughout Scripture to grow and move forward. You know, sometimes I'll meet somebody and we'll get into a conversation about their faith. And I'll talk to them, and, and they'll say something like, yeah, you know, I was raised in the church, but I don't really do that stuff anymore. I, I, don't, I don't go to church. I don't read the Bible. I, sometimes I pray when things are really bad. I'll kind of like, you know, shout out to God, and, but I don't know. And, and, and they'll say a phrase that I hear, I've heard multiple times where so they say, it didn't really do it for me. You know, Christianity, faith, that didn't really do it for me. And for some people, that's okay, but it didn't do it for me. I'm baffled when I hear that phrase from somebody. Because from my experience, I'm like, hold on. It didn't do it for you. Here's here's what I think is going on there. Either one, maybe they were misled to even understand what a relationship with God is, what it's like, how to grow, what it is. Or maybe it ties back to what Paul's challenging us with here today. Maybe they just didn't do the work. Maybe you didn't do the work to ever grow, to work out your salvation in fear and trembling now let me be very clear here as, it, as we're looking there at, at verse 12 where he says work out your salvation with fear and trembling salvation is a free gift from God alright um, you've heard that many many times you've heard it from me many many times I say it in almost every sermon salvation is a free gift free gift from God that's probably fixed in your minds. We don't work for our salvation. It's given to us freely. We don't work for it. We receive it by grace. But as Paul tells us here, we still have to work out our salvation. We don't work for our salvation, but we work out our salvation. I told you, this stuff's gonna be deep. <laughs> this is, you're, but you're gonna, you're gonna make it here with me. Last week, we saw that we've been given the mind of Christ. It's one of the things that we looked at a few different verses that talk about this. And he says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ, right? And then we go and look at that beautiful passage of God uh, coming in in the form of a human, in Jesus Christ, as a human, and emptying himself, pouring himself out, sacrificing himself for us, ultimately dying on the cross, right? We saw that. And we saw that not only have we been given the mind of Christ, but we're to look to Jesus as our example. And we're to set our hope on the future life that he will bring us. But we still don't know how all of that works and how it applies to our day-to-day life. It's not complete understanding. When he says, you've been given the mind of Christ, it doesn't mean that you have all of the knowledge of God. It doesn't mean that now you see all things and know all things and understand all things. You don't become God. But you've been given that mind of Christ. We still wrestle with sin and broken ways of dealing with life and with other people. We can still carry habits and behaviors that don't honor God. There's work to be done in every single one of us. That's how this this works. But what he says here is, work out your salvation and do it, I love this phrase, with fear and trembling. That should make you pause for a second and say, okay, whoa, I'm supposed to work out my salvation with fear and trembling? What do you picture when you picture fear and trembling? What I picture is like a a bomb squad in a movie scene, you know, where they call in the person that is like supposed to be the specialist, but the specialist they missed the helicopter, so now it's this non-specialist that's in here, and they're this bomb, and there's these wires, but don't worry, because they've got them on the phone with a little earpiece. All right, you're going to open it up. You're going to see the green wire and the blue wire. There is no green wire. It's only a, you know, it's purple, and, and then, and they're, all right, you got to snip this, but don't snip that, and if you touch this, right, and perspiration, and the dramatic music, that's fear and trembling to me. And, and, and there's fear and trembling because of two things. It's, it's something very difficult, but it's also very important. If you clip the wrong wire, all of New York City will blow up, right? That's how it works. <laughs> it's, it's very difficult, and it's very important. But here's the thing when we're talking about our salvation. Thankfully, our salvation isn't delicate or explosive. So when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that's not what he's describing, it's not delicate or explosive, but it is incredibly important. And it's important to every aspect of our lives. What did I tell you? Spiritual maturity leads to joy. Spiritual maturity leads to love. Spiritual joy leads to contentment. All that spiritual maturity, it, 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 it brings in all of those pieces. But the fear he's talking about, it, it, it's, it's wrong for us to fear that we're accidentally going to lose our salvation, and that's what sometimes people read here. They're like, oh no, fear and trembling. I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm not saved. You ever had that thought? I have many times. Like, oh no, I, I can't be saved. There's no way. <laughs> and I, I said that, I did that, I thought that. Ooh, there's no way. That's not what he's talking about. And that's not what he's saying, that you should fear or you should tremble because ooh, you may clip the wrong wire. That's not it. In John 10 verses 27 and 28, Jesus said this, he said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And listen, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The fear and trembling that we experience is not a fear of, oh, I dropped my salvation, and I broke it, and it's gone. Jesus says, no, 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 I've got you. I know who are mine, mine know who are are mine, and nobody can take them out of my hand. So we shouldn't fear that we're going to lose our salvation, but we should fear, what Paul is saying here, we should fear that we don't get it worked out. That we don't get it worked out. Because knowing and understanding the salvation that God brings us is hugely important. Here's what I want you to understand today. Salvation is more than just a ticket to heaven. It's more than a ticket to heaven. We are saved from eternal death and given eternal life. That's part of the truth of the gospel. That is true, all right? But we're also saved from sin and its grip upon us in this life, in this life. Jesus came to give us eternal life in the future and abundant life now. I'm going to read that again to you. Jesus came to give us eternal life in the future and abundant life now. Now. So how about you? How is your life? Is it abundant? And to be honest, guys, all of us are gonna sit here this morning and there's gonna be different things going on. For some of you, you might have had a really good week and you might say, yeah, right now it feels kind of abundant. For others of you, you're like, (laughs) abundant? I don't think so. Right? And that's okay because there's ups and downs in life. There's hard times and there's good times. That's, That's part of the way it works. But ask yourself that, is my life abundant? Do I have abundant life? Because what we're in danger of losing is not eternal life, as we've already said, but we are in danger of of not grasping abundant life and eternal reward, all right? Two things, abundant life and eternal reward. This is why we have to work out our salvation because we want abundant life. And trust me, as you'll see here in a minute, you want eternal reward, all right? Those are the things that are at stake. Let's first look at abundant life. Now, the Christian life is meant to be, and notice I'm saying it's meant to be, I didn't say it is, but it's meant to be the most glorious existence possible in a fallen world. That's what the Christian life is supposed to be. It's supposed to be glorious. However, we are still in a fallen world. And because we're in a fallen world, there's still gonna be suffering There's still going to be sickness and sorrow and more. Those things are still going to be involved. But as believers that are following Jesus, what we find is God will carry us through and bless us even in the middle of the hard bits of life. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, and I quote this one to you regularly. You probably should have it memorized now. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal to kill and destroy, right? That's what the thief does, the devil, Satan, wickedness. That's what they're here for. But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The life that Jesus came to give us is abundant life. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you With all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. As Christians, that's what our life is supposed to be like. Abounding in hope, abounding in goodness. Um, If if you're part of a life group this week, one of the, the, the questions for the life groups is to talk about this metaphor that I've described Many times, I won't get into it today, I don't have time, and I talk too long about it when I start talking about it. But the whole pitcher, cup, saucer, plate metaphor that some of you have heard, right? Which is Jesus, God the Father, he's the pitcher, and he pours into our life, which is the cup, which then is to overflow to a saucer, which is our closest relationships, and then overflow, continue to overflow now into the plate. It's this, this picture of an abundant life overflowing with goodness, and if we don't work out our salvation, we're in danger of missing out. We're in danger of stunting our growth. We're in danger of always being kind of a younger sibling that just never really grew up. And that's not what God has for us. All right, so he, he, he tells us abundant life comes from this, but also eternal reward. That's the second thing. Now, I've read this Bible many times. But I don't pretend to know all that is found in here. And I don't even understand all that that phrase, eternal reward, means from Scripture. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure of it. But I do believe that it will be of enormous value in eternity. Okay? And, and, and I think that if, if Jesus tells us that we are going to see it as a reward for eternity, I think there's pretty high value in this. I don't think he's talking about like some little, you know, knick or trinket, some little statue that we put on our mantle in heaven. Yeah, you know, back in uh, 2027, I got the, the most valuable usher award, you know, from God. And that's my reward, and there it is. I don't think that's what we're going to see. I think that the, when we're talking about eternal reward, Jesus makes it clear that that's what we should be looking for and, and moving in that direction. And it's going to be something that we value for eternity. I don't know what that, exactly what that looks like, but it is. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15, it describes this as well. He says, for no one can lay a, a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, the foundation of our salvation, okay? Nobody else can do that. Only Jesus could, and only Jesus did. But he goes on, he says, now if anyone builds on the foundation, so this is the works of our lives, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. There's kind of a decline there in building materials. Each one's work will become manifest for the day, the judgment day, the end of all things. It will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, you'll suffer loss. Though, he himself will be saved. But only as through fire. Do you see what's being said, said there? It's, what it's saying is, yes, yes, your life on this earth matters. And those whose lives uh, are, are being built with things of value and things that last, and think, they're going to receive a reward for that. Of, of what they do in this life. And those who are saved that don't build with good materials, well, their stuff's going to kind of be built up. They're still going to be saved, but they're not going to have that reward that is of value. And I know it's of value because Jesus said it was. In Matthew six twenty. here's what he said. He said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. We don't want to settle for less than the salvation that God has for us in this life and life to come. Nobody does. You don't wanna just, someday I'll grow up and become mediocre. Does anybody really feel that way? Sometimes you might. (laughs) But most of the time, no, we're like, let's let's go for it. We've been given one life. Let's live it to the full. Let's do the most that we can with the life and the time that we've been given. None of us know how many more days we have on this planet. Let's live it to the full. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, as it goes on here, look what he he says there in verse 13. Because he also says, though, it is God who works in you. Both to will, that means for you, your will, your desires, what you want to do. Both to will and to work, the things that you, your actions that follow, for his good pleasure. This is a work of God in our lives. All right, salvation is a work of Jesus. This this growth process, this maturity process is a work of God in our lives. We're called to cooperate with what God is bringing about in our lives. And that's how it works when you become a Christian. He's working on you bit by bit, changing you a little at a time. And he transforms our will and he transforms our actions. But he doesn't do it against our will. And that's important God invites us to be changed and healed. That's why we mature at different rates spiritually. It's not the same kind of thing where once you're born and you're a baby and your your cells are doing their thing, the way that they're doing those things, you didn't think about how, oh, how am I going to get from seven to eight as a seven-year-old, right? It just happens. It's not how it works with spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. God says, I'd like to do work in your life. I want to grow you. I want to bring you to maturity. Does that work for you? And when we say, "No, don't touch me." All right. Stay right there. I'll come back later. But instead, when we cooperate with God like, "Yes, Lord, please do the work that you want to do. Grow me, stretch me, transform me. I want that life, that abundant life that you have for right now." That's when God begins continues to do the work that he's already begun. And that's why we mature at different rates. Some of us work with God, some of us work against him, but he continues to work. And it, is, it says there, this is for his good pleasure. But remember this, God's good pleasure is our highest good. You see, when, when God, Jesus said, I come to give you abundant life, it's because he knows that abundant life is going to be the best thing for you. You want that abundant life. And when it talks about the good pleasure of God, God as a father gets pleasure in our maturity and our growth and our joy and our goodness. It gives God no pleasure to look at you in your life and see you miserable and having a bad go of it. God is never sitting up there thinking, well, they kind of deserve that one. Hope they learned their lesson this time. Never. That's not the heart of the father. The heart of the Father is, I want you to thrive. I want you to grow. I want you to be uh, overflowing and alive. This is how I want you to be able to experience life. He wants us to thrive in every way. And the parts of us that are bent on destruction have to be corrected. But God is at work restoring us to become the people that He created us to be. That's what sanctification is. We're justified and we're being sanctified. The work that He's doing goes beyond ourselves. And then, not only do do we overflow, but then it affects people around us. And that's where he talks about from verses 14 to 16. um, And I'm going to read this again for us. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. As we cooperate with God, as we cooperate with Him, we begin submitting our thoughts, our desires, and our behaviors to Him, and we start obeying His commands. This is part of the way we're working out our salvation. We're cooperating with Him, we're walking with Him, we're working with Him. And God's given us a, 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 a set of morals to live by in the Bible. Even over all these thousands of years, the morality that we find in Scripture is still the morality for today, just as it was then. No matter what generation we're a part of, no matter what country we live in, God's view of right and wrong doesn't change. It doesn't change. And here, specifically, we're taught to live without grumbling, he says there, in some translations it says complaining, and also without disputing or arguing. And he tells us here, he says, look, these attitudes aren't appropriate for the children of God. They're not. The griping and complaining and grumbling, the, the argumentative sorts of nature that you've got, the wanting to fight over all this, dispute about that. It's like, no, that's, this isn't, it's, it's not appropriate. Why? Because, he tells us right there, we are meant to be a contrast to the rest of the world. Just like light contrasts dark. He says we are supposed to be shining as lights in the world. Does the world around you dispute and grumble and argue and complain? Oh, come on. Like, that's what we're living in right now. We're neck deep in complaints and and arguments and, and all of that. That's part of why Christians are not supposed to be that way. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to shine as lights into that darkness. And there are plenty of things to grumble about in this world. Amen? Somebody? Yeah. Right? There are. There are plenty of things to argue over in this world. And there were in Paul's day too. It wasn't that back there in the Roman Empire in the first century, oh, everything was so nice. It's like we never fight here. Are you kidding? No, that's not what was going on. Of, and, and of course, I, I mean, oh, here's the next question. Is our generation crooked and twisted? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. And of course because it is. Because it shouldn't surprise us because that's what sin does. It twists things and corrupts things and perverts things. But we're called to live differently. Christians are supposed to love one another and strive for unity. I, Andy Stanley, a, a pastor in Georgia, recently said this. He, um, he said, "Difference is inevitable. There's always going to be differences among people. People are people. There will always be differences. That's inevitable. But division is a choice." And he was specifically addressing the unity within a church. And he says, "Yeah, there's always going to. We're always going to have different viewpoints on things, guys. It's okay to have different viewpoints on some things. There's going to be differences. That's inevitable." But division, that's a different thing. We're called to unity. We're called to love one another and unity, even if there are some things that we agree to disagree on. Sadly, the church, capital C church, the church at large, has gotten sucked into the division of our nation and it's dividing our churches. And that should not be so. Instead, let us be, as he tells us here, let us be the people that shine as lights in the world. All right, so as we finish here today, how do we do this? How do we work out our salvation and shine as lights? Well, there's a couple things that he tells us right here in the text. First off, he says that we should hold fast to the word of life and also that we should cooperate with the work God is doing through us. So how does that play out for you? How are you to to hold fast to the word of life? How are you to cooperate with the work of God in your life? Well, start with just you. Start with your personal life. Read and meditate on the Bible. Pray and seek God. Worship and glorify Him. Live out of the overflow. And then what do you do? You let that begin flooding your home. Guess what? We won't ask for a show of hands of this, but a lot of arguments and grumbling and complaining you know where it happens maybe the most at home the people you love the most you would think we'd save it for somebody else that we don't like but no a lot of times it's actually the grumbling and complaining happens with the people we love the most that's not how it's supposed to be live out of the overflow start at home let that life flood your home then take it to work take it to school take it to the grocery store to the ball field wherever it is that you go Bring it back to church. That light, <laughs> let that shine here too. Shine wherever you go. And those those last couple of verses in verses 17 and 18, just like chapter one, where Paul said to live as Christ and to die as gain, he says to this church, he says, "Look, as long as you, the church, are shining as the light of Jesus, and you're holding fast to the word, Paul says, even if I die." it's well worth it. Because as long as you're doing those things, you're shining as lights, you're holding fast to the word, you're loving one another, you're doing all the, 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 the work that God's given us to do on this earth. You're doing what you need to do. And I will rejoice and we will all rejoice for eternity. Why? Because God's will will be done and your lives will be fulfilled. So, here's the question as we wrap the whole thing up. What sort of work do you need to do today? How do you need to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling? What is the next step for your spiritual maturity? Are you a grumbler? Maybe you need to begin living a life full of gratitude and replace your grumbling with gratitude. Have you stalled out in your spiritual growth because you've stopped being in the Word and in prayer? Has your light grown dim because your love for Jesus has grown cold? Let's get to work. Let's do what God's calling us to do. Let's be obedient followers of Jesus who shine as lights in the world. And let's enjoy the abundant life that God calls us to live. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I, I pray, God, that, uh, that today my brothers and sisters don't feel condemned, but they feel challenged. Challenged. Because, Lord, I know that that's how I feel when I read this passage and I think about this. I'm challenged. Because, God, I want abundant life. I want eternal reward. I want everything that you have for me in my life. And I know that there are so many things that get in the way of my spiritual growth and my spiritual health and my spiritual maturity But Lord, I just pray that you would help every one of us lay down those things that are in the way. And I pray, God, that right now you'd even bring some of those things to our minds. Allow us to know what they are so that we can set them down and set them aside and cling to you and look to you. God, I am grateful that that you want to give us that kind of life. This earth is not supposed to be just punishment for us that eventually we leave behind for heaven, but it's supposed to be a place where your glory is already reaching in to a fallen world through your children. And so, Lord, we pray, God, that you would do that work in and among us here today. I pray that you would give our church the courage to grow the courage to change behaviors, the courage to trust you and understand what our salvation is all about. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.